everyone, this is George Carose with iMOOC Season 3, Episode 5 with Dwight Carter. We had an amazing conversation tonight. Uh, Dwight was very vulnerable, talked about some of the difficulties he's had as a uh, principal and educational leader, and it was just a really great conversation, and I appreciated um, his thoughts along with Katie's. And we talked about his book and the importance of like what's in your space, the title of his book, and uh not only what's in your physical space of your school, but you know how, how you actually think and how it supports this. And then we take some of your questions. I hope you enjoy the episode. I really love talking to Dwight. Hey everyone, this is George Kroos. Uh, this is iMOOC season three, episode five. And we are very lucky to have uh, my friend Katie Martin and my other friend Dwight underscore Carter. So don't get them mixed up. We were just talking about that. Uh, two amazing educational leaders, and, and we're really uh, excited to uh, highlight some of uh, Dwight, Dwight's work. And uh, this this week uh, for the iMOOC assignments, we're actually focused on part three, and we're going to kind of interweave that into the conversation. But Dwight, not only is he a, an amazing educational leader, uh, he's the author uh, of, uh, of two books, uh, one that is out already and one that is coming out very soon. And seriously... Anything you can learn from Dwight, you want to learn. So uh, I encourage you to look those books up and, and see what he's doing. Uh, before we, I turn it over to Katie, I just want to thank people. Um, the Innovator's Mindset audiobook came out uh, yesterday, and uh, people have been extremely supportive. If, uh, and so uh, it already hit number one on Amazon uh, for education administration. So I just want to thank people for that. Uh, and thank, because it's that was a terrifying thing for me to do. And uh, seriously, it was like being in The Shining. It was like the weirdest experience to just sit in a room by yourself and read into a mic. So I just want to thank people. Um, not only uh, a lot of people bought it, and no, I'm not asking anyone to buy it, but more importantly, people were just so supportive and uh, thankful, uh, you know, and, and just kind about the whole thing. So I just really want to thank people for that. But uh, I'm going to turn it over to Katie, and then she's going to turn it over to uh, the awesome Dwight. Thanks, George. All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm Katie Martin, and again, super excited to be here for our fifth episode of season three. Um, I just want to also acknowledge that today is about two years <laughs> since the Innovator's Mindset came out, and I was telling George today earlier that um, it's great to have the audiobook come out, but super inspiring to see the change that the book and George's work have um, inspired over the last two years. So it's a happy birthday to the Innovator's Mindset Thanks. today and a great way to celebrate um, with all of you tonight. We should have had a birthday cake. Um, but anyway. How about a pumpkin? <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Dwight. We knew we could count on you. Um, so in, in honor of that, just I'm really happy that everyone's here and super excited for a great conversation tonight. We are two weeks left to go and I encourage everyone to continue to blog and share and keep connecting. Um, it's going to be a, a great two weeks to finish strong and finish, um, finish the, the whole six weeks. So. We have lots of inspiration tonight. I know Dwight is going to share some of his experiences, talk about his book, talks about, talk about um, change and his own leadership. So I am excited to have Dwight, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and where you're from. Thanks, Katie. Hello, Katie. Hello, George. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. George is one of my all-time education heroes. Uh, I look up to him 
just he was one of the first guys I connected with on Twitter like seven years ago. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, again, I'm a high school principal in New Albany, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus, Ohio, which is about seven miles outside of outside of Columbus. Uh, this is my 24th year as an educator. And out of those 24 years, I've been an administrator for 16 years. Um, this is my fourth year as a principal at New Albany High School. Uh, New Albany is about almost 1,600 students, very high affluent, high achieving uh, school district. We have about just shy of 5,000 students total in the district. So I'm the high school principal and we have one high school, one middle school, one intermediate school and elementary school. And we now have a pre-K and kindergarten facility. And you need to think about our campus that everything is on one, like one area, one, like one campus. So we're connected by one large sidewalk. Um, so we're very close knit group, um, very uh, strong core values. Um, recently you're going through some changes with our administration. So we have a new superintendent going into the second year and it's just been revigorating for the district as a whole. So yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, my staff and I are really starting to jail going into the fourth year. Um, so that it feels real good that we're starting off and we have that trust that's in place. Relationships with the kids are solid. So it's been a, it's been a good transition um, going to year four and I have a brand new administrative team as well in the building. So we're, we're hitting on all cylinders and having a great time doing it. And one of the, one of the reasons I asked Dwight uh, is not only because of his knowledge, but the, I, just connecting with him is he is so passionate about what he does and very thoughtful and uh, just kind of following along on, on Twitter and following through his blog, uh, his positivity. And I actually want to just bring up something that sparked in me when Dwight and I, uh, like we connected through Twitter for a, a little while and out of the blue, I don't know if you remember this, Dwight, he just messaged me. He's like, Hey, can I call you? Yes. Cause and I'm like, yeah. And so we just talked on the book, like, and it's just kind of neat because a lot of people don't actually understand if you don't do it, how like people will say like, oh, like, you know, online, it's almost like fake. And the reality is it, if you make it real, it becomes real. And yeah, it's very authentic. Yeah. And do you remember Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about what we talked about the conversation, but do you remember that actually when that happened? Because like, I don't think we ever actually met face to face. No, uh, we, at it, the point. we met. We met face to face probably two years, maybe three years after we really connected yeah. on Twitter. Um, it was at a conference we met. And then we met. You came to Cincinnati or the Ohio area. Mm -hmm. and that was the first time we actually were at the same conference together. Um, but I also remember I connected with you because I said, "How do I how do I join um, Connected Principles?" And then you sent me some information, and from there, just I started talking to you about you know, what's it like you're leading elementary schools and blogging and all the things that you were doing. I'm like, man, this guy is like, he's nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's your, you, I just learned so much about your school and you through, through Twitter that it was easy to connect with you. Yeah. And, and one of the things Katie just dropped on the stream, I'm sure she just had a little technical difficulties. She'll be back right away. But uh, one of the things that you just brought up and I kind of want to get your thoughts on this because we talk about the importance of building culture and you know, like how, like if you're really effective at what you do, um, you will, you know, you, like a culture will last without you. And mm -hmm. I actually don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I really don't. And the reason why I say that is literally one person can come in in the right role and change everything and, Absolutely. and positive. Well, 
And what are your thoughts on that? Because that is like a really huge thing. Well, I struggle with that um, because, again, uh, culture is a really big thing for me. And it's the big because of culture. You don't get culture right. Nothing else falls into place. It just I've experienced that. I've lived it. I've witnessed it. I've been a part of it one way or the other. Um, and I struggle with it because there's so much pressure knowing that the belief is um, culture should be sustainable without you there in, in, in that seat. But also culture is about the personality of the schools, about the personality of the leadership, about the personality of the staff. And people, people follow personalities. They follow people. They don't follow organizations. And organizations are what make up people. So, you're, so people are loyal to others, not to just a brand. Mm-hmm. And schools are the same way. Um, and knowing the, the pressure of the importance of culture building as a principle like every interaction is either adding to or taking away from the culture. Everything you say is adding to or taking away from the culture. Um, when you leave, that part leaves with you. And some elements, I think, can, can be sustainable, but the whole, the whole culture in and of itself will change because the leadership is going to change. So I think there's a combination of, yes, you can lead it and it, it can be sustainable, but there's some things that are inevitably going to change because somebody else will come in have their own ideas, have their own philosophies, their own core values, unless they truly vet the interview process and hire somebody that's just like the yeah. culture that, that exists. Well, I think that like when, uh, when I became a principal, my superintendent at the time, who was absolutely phenomenal, uh, she said that what you need to do is you need to actually build upon what has already been there. Yeah. And when you leave, your fingerprint should be all over the place. But there will be an adjustment when the next person comes in too, right? Absolutely. And, and so you, you, it does permeate, but I know personally as an educator, um, if I have a, you know, if I have a boss and they totally disagree with everything that was done before and I work with that person, I, I want that person to be happy with the work that I'm doing. And so very quickly, if that person maybe doesn't have the best vision, a lot of people, you know, like I hear a lot of teachers complain and say, you know, this really sucks. And like, I don't have a choice. And I'm like, well, you always have a choice. Like you can go, you, right, you can right. leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> and, and that, that is like, sometimes when you stay in spite of weak leadership, if everyone started leaving, that would also send a very clear message on right. something that's not, not working as well. That right? Same conversation. We had that conversation a couple years ago. Um, Cause I wrote a blog about, uh, I had a phenomenal uh, first or second year teacher. We had a conversation, and she, you know, she came to my office, and she, she started crying. It's like I'm, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm going to this district, a smaller district. I'm like, well, why? What's going on? She said, well, just, just personally, it just wasn't a good fit for me here. I love, love the kids. She said, but it's just I need a smaller school, and that hit me hard because that was the first, I think, the first or second time I had someone from my staff leave and go to another school. I took that personally. Mm-hmm. I remember I reached out to I wrote a blog about it, and then you reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, don't take it so hard. Sometimes, sometimes people leave just because they want to leave and something different. It's not necessarily because of you." And there's this quote that I read somewhere that people don't leave organizations or schools; they leave people. So I, I again, I took that to heart. Like, well, she she left because there was something lacking in my leadership that didn't keep her there. And then you reassured me that, hey, man, things happen. You know, don't worry about it. You know, if you have a mass exodus, 
then you need to worry. But that's you. That's probably you. Yeah, if this, if one person leaves, hey, it, it things like that happen. So well, and that's interesting too because you know you're being reflective. I think too often leaders think it's about them and don't often reflect if people are leaving. So I love that you're thinking about that. Yeah. When you were talking earlier, and I think George mentioned this, that you're super positive and you're, you obviously care a lot about relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering when people talk about administration as the dark side, or they say like you're going over and you yeah. said you've been in administration for 16 years. Um, how, do you, how do you fight that or what do you do to, to change that narrative? Well, I went through a very challenging time last school year, and we uh, we took a we had a Gallup survey uh, on school culture and climate, and wow, it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal. It was uh, I had to lick lick my wounds and really heal this summer, and I realized the things that I thought I was doing were actually um, the things that things I was doing I thought was building culture, but actually I was tearing it down um, because it, it wasn't visible. Um, I wasn't physically, I wasn't mentally present. Um, I thought I was, but I wasn't. I wasn't engaging to the staff. And I was very, um, I was very much student-centered, but I forgot about the, the two-thirds of the stakeholders, which is our staff and our parents. And so getting that feedback, I could have very easily gotten defensive, started to deflect, started to complain, started to blame others, but I had to look internally and just say, well, what can I do to get better? So we, you know, we started working with you know, some leadership skills and leadership development, started reading a lot more. And then I just actually stepped back and stopped doing anything at all. and started thinking, okay, one thing I control is myself. So how do I get better? And what can I do to get better? So I put a nice little plan in place, was very honest with my staff on the first day. It was like, here's the feedback that, that you gave me from this survey. And I talked about like bullet points, like every single area. And, uh, it was refreshing and I got a lot of positive feedback. Like, man, I was, you were very vulnerable and very transparent. We appreciate that. The next thing I just had to follow through with the things that I said I was going to do. So I didn't over promise. I just said, here are the things I'm going to stop doing. Here's the thing I'm going to start doing. And now I built relationships by just stopping by to say hi. Um, uh, I, I, I invite our new staff out. We go to Panera, which is like a little sandwich shop. We go once a month. We have now have something called happy hours where I buy the, buy the appetizers for each department per month. And then the department, they'll come and anybody can come in that department and they'll, they'll get their own drinks and whatnot. So it's just building relationships that has nothing to do with, at all, nothing to do with content or curriculum or the school itself. It's just like getting to know people and building relationships. So those have been actually very, very productive. And that's like, like, I'm just amazed that you shared that. So like, I appreciate that. And I think that's like a really great sign of leadership is that vulnerability. And I know, uh, I'm pretty sure Katie, you've read Brene Brown stuff and lots of people yeah. bring that up because I think it is quite important is that when we ask people to grow, but we don't, they don't see us growing as well. Yeah. Um, there you lose people. And, and I think that one of the things that you shared, uh, just when you're talking right now, that kind of struck a chord with me is that we do often talk about, you know, serving kids and, you know, it's all about the kids and we start there first. Um, and I think it is important that we understand that serving the adults is serving the kids. Yes. And if you actually, um, so for the, like, if you look at any airline company, and this is, this is the way I always see this, any airline company, you'll go on, United, like, there's actually something they're saying about how, you know, United is focused on customers first and they, like somebody, 
posted a video of everyone on the plane laughing after like a three hour mechanical delay. Like, are you kidding? Like you don't ever put us first. Right. Right. And the thing is a lot of times when I deal with airline companies, the, the people that are right there in the front lines cannot make decisions because they have to go up the ranks to do this. And right. so you basically handcuff those people to not be able to, you know, use common sense, you right. know, to figure out everything has to be there. Then ultimately the customer does suffer. And I think right. that's a really important aspect of what you shared is that, and, and I know that I'm guilty of this too, is that I always talk about students, but it is ultimately how do we help the adults. And I try to advocate, you know, administrators like, you gotta like i just wrote a post about this about how we we hold back our teachers from making the right decisions um based on you know policy and how like i, I always say if your policy if common sense trumps policy your policy is stupid like i i <laughs> leave that straight up right like so eloquent. Yeah, yeah so i think the important part yeah that's george eloquent i think the important part too which you hey. said <laughs> that resonates with me, Dwight, because I had a similar experience. Um, you thought you were doing what was right and you were, you know, you thought you were connected, but until we get feedback from those we serve, yeah. we don't always know. And when I first moved into administrative role, um, I thought I had great relationships. We were friends. I had been working with my team. Right. And then all of a sudden things that I was doing were perceived differently and, um, I had the best intentions in mind for sure. I, I really wanted to do good work, but it, it wasn't always received in the way that I thought it was. Right. And until I asked for feedback or until it was given, um, I didn't really understand the impact or the lack of impact I was having with my decisions. And so I think that it's really important that you said you had that Gallup survey, you asked for feedback and people are really afraid to do that. Right. So I'm wondering too, like, how do you continue to seek feedback once you got that initial, the initial results? How do you continue to stay in contact with people? Um, again, based on that feedback, one of the things I wanted to do is really stay connected to my team leaders or building leadership teams. So now we have weekly, like weekly, weekly checkups with our department chairs. By saying we, I mean all of my, every one of my administrative teams. So all the departments, the departments I evaluate, I meet with their chairperson every single week. And it's just, how's things going? How, what can I do to help? What do you need more of? What do you need less of? What's going on in the department that we can, that we can work on? So it doesn't, it, uh, doesn't fester. <laughs> so it doesn't fester. Uh, the dogs want to say hi. And that's been very positive as well. Um, we're also going to, as a district, we're going to roll out a quarterly, um, like a 10, 12 question checkup. You know, when, have you been recognized by administration the last 30 days? Uh, have you received any feedback about your work the last 30 days? Have you um, had, had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with an, uh, a leader in the building in the last 30 days? Just, just basic questions like that. Um, so we can just gauge and almost do a summative assessment on how we're doing. Because the, the bad part about the Gallup survey was that it was an autopsy. It was an autopsy of the year. Like we couldn't go back and fix or change or solve anything. But we had to, I had to wait like nine weeks uh, over the summer to get the staff back to then address the, what was shared, come up with a plan, and then implement it. Now we can at least, at least get some quarterly feedback where it gives us a chance the next day to, to implement some things and work on some things. So, and then I just, I just asked for feedback from you know, some of the teachers in the building, like, man, how are things going? What are you hearing? 
Um, and some's like, man, you know, we haven't seen you in a week. You make sure you, you're out and about. Or, um, or they say, hey, man, thanks for stopping by the classroom and leaving that, leaving a note or sending me that email. You know, so just stop having a, the casual walking conversations as opposed to a formal agenda type meeting. It's just casual, laid back, and very informal. Nice. And I think that you've obviously opened up the lines of communication for them to say things to you and they know you're receptive to feedback yeah. and then they want to share. Yeah. So you also, we were talking earlier, you um, have been leading for a long time and at the school for four years and you've recently, you have a book coming out. We'd love to hear a little bit about the book and kind of what your, um, what the driver was for lessons learned. Hey Dwight, if you could actually, I would love to everyone to know about your first book. Uh, that came out about learning spaces. So if you could share that first, that'd be awesome. Yeah. And then we'll get into your, the one that's coming out right away. All right. Well, the first book is uh, co-written with uh, Mark White and Gary Seabach. Mark White is one of my best friends, uh, mentor, um, just a phenomenal leader. Uh, he's the main writer, and Gary Seabach was the architect of Clark Hall, which is our extension or annex to Lincoln High School when I was there. Uh, we just talked about uh, the mindset shift that has to occur before you even start thinking about and implementing new things in classrooms. Your mindset has to change first. So the, that's the uniqueness of the titles, what's in your space. So what's in the space between your ears and what's in the space in your learning environment. Um, so we talked about our, our process. We talked about the steps we took to um, get teachers engaged in the professional development, the books that we read. Um, connected all the learning that we that took place over the last 10 years while I was at while we were at in Gehenna <clears throat> and now how it culminated into designing a new space for 21st century learners because we can very easily just build another massive high school lockers cafeteria auditorium it looks like everything else um, but that's not I don't think that's the way of the world in the future I think it's we're going to go to smaller more flexible more agile spaces and so the, the first book talks about how to go about doing that. And then we share stories from people all over the country, from elementary, middle, and high school, uh, teachers and administrators on how they did it. And um, the, the whole premise is think about what type of learning you wanna see happen, get the kids involved, and then adapt the learning environment to allow it to happen as opposed to buying new furniture, painting the walls, putting all this artwork up, but the pedagogy doesn't change. It, you, what's, what's, what's the point of that? So we thank you. Yeah, we look at it from let's think innovatively about the space, but let's think how we want learning, teaching, and learning to take place, and then make the space fit that. The, the, how did you work with teachers, and how did you help them understand um, the pedagogy and how that was going to change in in conjunction with the space? Yeah, it was about a two or three year process. Like we did some book studies. We sent a group of teachers to PBL. Uh, training so they can understand what that goes into and what that what that looks like um, we had book studies we had article discussions we met on a monthly basis and just talked about what you want to do and why you want to do it and let's just not talk about integrating or becoming a Google school or Google classroom but what do you want to do with that and then we let teachers just explore and share ideas and so that sharing is what built that community and that collaboration um, because teachers felt like they weren't on, weren't on an island, um, and then once we got the space, they were already they were already in in the mindset of I'm ready for this space and let's let's just make it happen, and the kids saw it and they just they lost their minds, like I mean they absolutely lost their minds. Awesome. What was funny is like the seniors, 
didn't like it at first because they didn't they felt like they didn't get it because they had they experienced school the same way for 12 or 13 years if you count kindergarten so they didn't get it while we were building it and some of them were somewhat um turned off by the idea but it wasn't until they actually walked in the building where they was like man this makes sense and i knew we had them i knew we had our younger kids um within the first quarter when they said man i feel like i'm in college and I thought that was interesting. I said, well, how do you know if you've never been there? He's like, well, I feel like this is what college would be like because they had a lot of freedom, but there was a great deal of responsibility that came with it. I think one of the, I, I, like, I really appreciate because the, the, the book isn't just about learning spaces, right? Not it is a shift in thinking. And I think one of the, obviously that's like a major theme of the innovator's mindset. But I, like I, when you're talking about that, I, I was in Australia several years ago and they actually, to deal with the re recession, you know, um, that happened basically all over the world. One of the things they did was they gave uh, construction companies a, a lot of money to actually build new school spaces to not really necessarily help schools, but to actually help, um, the, uh, like, uh, company local companies because every every town has a school right mm -hmm. and one of the things that i thought was really fascinating is i would go into some of the most beautiful learning spaces that i've ever seen in my life and i actually distinctly remember walking into a, a totally reformed library like the way that we saw a library when we were kids compared to what this was now just the yeah. seating and all these other things and i remember i was having a conversation in the library for like about three seconds and i got shushed by the librarian and so they were they were using it they were using the space the exact same way the old space was and had no shift in thinking yeah. and so you have this and like we put all this money into it but nothing nothing actually changed yeah. uh, Anik, who's one of the leaders of uh, iMOOC I worked with her they have a brand new school and I said whatever you do don't bring your old thinking into a new building right and I, I think we that that happens way more than we want to admit. Absolutely, and it, it and it, so sometimes we get the we make the mistake of if we build something new and looks brighter, shiner, prettier, cleaner, that automatically things are going to change, and that that's not the case at all. The mindset has to change, and you have to train people how to think differently, and you have to, you have to think differently in yourself. And how do you right. do that? Ask questions, read a lot of books, um, see what else is going on, uh, talk to other people. And then well, and I love that. That's, I love that's why you brought up the students too, and that they didn't automatically think it was great because it's not how they are traditionally expected right. to learn in school. And we forget sometimes, like teachers will say, "But my kids want the worksheets." Well, because you've trained them to want them, right. you've trained them to just go through the motions. And so, a lot of times, the new space, like you said, doesn't just change that. It might, it might lend itself to new opportunities, but if we don't think differently and create those new opportunities yeah. and connect with new, new people, they don't automatically just happen. Yeah, and we studied like assessment, like why do we assess kids the way we do? What are we trying to get at? Is this, this, this should, the, should the assessment or the, the grade be determined based on time or based, based on students learning? So we were really pushing the envelope and changing, um, we had to change how we recorded grades. Um, and you, that comes, in, I mean, a lot of problems come into that because you have eligibility deadlines, you have quarter deadlines, you have teachers or parents who want to see their students grades and if there were like incompletes in there it would cause some problems but the incomplete which shows it's just not done yet there's progress on it but it's not done yet um, we have retakes 
um, on tests and quizzes. Kids can do homework um, for learning, not just for a grade. So we had we had some quite quite a bit of unique things going on that was really disruptive, um, positively disruptive to what we were trying to accomplish. I'm glad you said that because homework and grading obviously is a topic that has come up um, on the many of these conversations. And high school is always a place where people say, we can't do this differently. So, you know, when you said you did retakes and allowing kids to show their learning, not just a grade, how are you communicating that to parents? And how are you helping teachers move past the way they've always done that? Yeah, and, and the school I'm in now in New Albany, again, going into the fourth year, we had teachers, I have teachers here who've always given retakes, which has been, it was very nice because you didn't have to battle that. Um, but it's not across the board. It's like, so, for example, an entire department may do retakes. And how they do it is the kid still has to go in for some um, reteaching. So you can't just fail it and then take it again the next day. There, obviously, there was something went, something went wrong. So they will look at it, reteach, and then the students can retake it. Um, but that's a, that's, it's at a specific time with the teacher. But that's communicated in the beginning of the year with the teacher's um, you know, expectations. So they talk to parents about that. Um, they post it on the portal that may have it on Schoology or their Google Classroom. Um, and the students just, they can choose to take advantage of it, they can choose not to. Like one department I know that does that really well is our global language department. They talk about it collectively as a department every month about their retakes and how, how many, how kids are taking advantage of it and what they're doing and how they're, how they're showing improvement or lack thereof. And so they start really looking at what's the assessment, what are we trying to accomplish? And all that was going on before I got here, and it's just, it's just been, my job was not to mess it up then. You know, don't get in the way and, and, and stop it from happening, because I think it's what's best for kids. Great. So, One of so the things Dwight, you mentioned, you, oh. That's okay, okay, sorry. Uh, the, Dwight, the, one ahead. of the things that uh, I want to talk about is because I think that book actually goes in nicely to your next book, and so what, what, what is the focus on that? I know that one's not out yet, but I think it's coming out pretty soon. Is that yeah, true? It, should, it should be out by the end of the month. Uh, I know we, um, we got an email a couple of weeks ago from the publisher said it's, it's in print we're, we're going forward. So that was a, a, that was a relief. Um, but this one's about uh, leading schools in disruptive times. Um, as you can tell, just in our nation and in, in, in the world in and of itself, things are moving at an exponential rate. And, um, the turnover for principals and superintendents is like one to three years, maybe four years tops. And so how do you, how do you constantly lead in the place that's so in an in a education system in a system in of itself that's so disruptive right now where everything's changing so rapidly and with the, the, um, with the boom in information, how do you stay on top of what's relevant, what's not? And so, um, our, our book talks about, hot topics such as uh, culture, gender, race, ethnicity, inequalities. We talk about um, te the technology divide. We talk about um, th the multi-generational staff that we have now. We have some boomers, some millennials. How do you get groups like that to work together for a common goal? So we really, really highlight how leaders can lead in a time of disruption and help leaders understand that disruptive times are going to last for several more decades because that's just where we are right now. So how do you, how do you sustain your mental, physical, and social well-being while leading schools through disruptive times and connecting with kids, building relationships, looking at all the changes that have occurred going to, you know, from in the States from 
uh, No Child Left Behind to now uh, uh, ESSA and what that entails, going from Ohio State tests, from Ohio graduation tests to state proficiency tests to just thought this whole testing industry, how do you respond to that and still remain relevant and focused on doing what's best for kids? Um, so it, we, and we should tear, tell stories of what other people are doing and we tell some of our own stories. So you have definitely taken on quite a bit of challenges by hearing all of those. I'm curious um, what your like one to two takeaways are that you, you know, to share with some of the um, night. Uh, I'm a, I'm a no quote, pressure. Yeah, I'm gonna quote my technology director, uh, Mike Voss. Love the guy because he's so he's such a critical thinker and he's very creative. So he has two rules, um, and I'm gonna add a third. The first rule is nothing's ever easy, and the second rule is <laughs> everything's complicated. And and the third rule is that I'll use is just just try to maintain positivity throughout the difficult and challenging times. So it's, it's hard to do, but as, as Todd Whitaker says, when the principal catches a code, the whole, or when the principal sneezes, the whole building catches a code, man, that is true. So if I'm having a bad day, I'll give you, give you an example today. I was just like hoarded in my, about just like in my office, just couldn't get out of my office earlier today. So I just said, you know, we have some books. So let me deliver these books just to get out of my office. And I was still like in the focus, like, intention focus attention where i wasn't smiling i was just pushing the cart just like doing doing a task so i walked in one of our rooms and one of our teachers like hey dwight how you doing i'm like i'm fine i didn't smile i just said i'm fine and then she's like are you sure i was like yeah i think so so i just delivered the books and really didn't engage in the conversation it's like all right i'll see you later and i was like well this is i'm being pretty cold i realized that so well, how was your weekend it's like oh, i was fine it was good and she can tell I wasn't really in, I wasn't present. So about an hour later, I got an email from the same teachers like, hey, Dwight, you didn't seem like yourself. Are you okay? And I was like, wow, man, she, like, she truly cared and recognized that. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I said, you're right. I wasn't engaged. I wasn't there. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm present now. So my fault. I'll make it up to you. You know, so it was good just to have that personal interaction and that connection. And it showed that my attitude each day does make a difference to somebody and so that that was a great reminder that smile uh, be positive uh, live the things that you tweet about live the things that you use every or say every morning uh, on the words of uh, I'll do the words of wisdom every morning so I just try to live those things out and when I'm not I have three people on my team that will definitely remind me like dude you need to press pause and get your mind right or take a walk or something <laughs> Dwight, what's your, I'm going to bring up, uh, what's your, what's your tagline in your emails and your Facebook posts? Be great. But there's something about, there's something about choice. Make it a great day or not. The choice is yours. Yeah. And I think, I think that like, one of the things that I try to get people to understand is that we have a much, we have way more control over the direction of schools in our schools than we give ourselves credit for. Absolutely. So there's a lot of schools that do really amazing things um, in tough situations. And there's a lot of schools in good situations don't necessarily do good things. And I, I always like, I'll, I'll try to find a, a veteran educator and I'll say, uh, you know, like how long you've been teaching? They'll say like, you know, 25 years. I'll say, tell me the year that 
your school said, what are we going to do with all this money we have? Like it's never <laughs> happened. Right. And so it, it's, there's always going to be constraints. There's always going to be issues. And I think that's one of the things that people um, have to understand is that there will be stress, but there's another point that I want to make. And I, this isn't something I, I don't think I've ever said in a podcast or a video. And I think it's really important is that um, I always used to tell my teachers this, and I think it's really important is that if I, if you come to school and physically you, there's something, I can see something wrong. Like we would tell you to go home, but I can't tell mentally. And so I would rather you stay home for a day and just get your bearings instead of you being grumpy and hard to deal with for the week. And I think just giving permission to people to that, because we don't, we don't put mental health issues as high as we do if we can as a physical ailment and I, I know that some days when I was a principal and or a teacher I used to get just you know I'd say you know I just needed a day like I just needed a day to like catch my breath and you know those are kind of what our sick days are for and I just I know that that's not I'm not saying you should have taken the day off that's not what I'm trying to say at all but I, I just I know a lot of people um, listening I know that like teaching is really hard to miss a day because it's like you actually add another day on to work to create right. sub plans and to do all those other things. Right. But I just want to people encourage like the important like mental health is to serving your students. And sometimes you, if you just need that, I just need a breath. Like you just need a, some space to catch your breath. And when you come back, it'll be better. I encourage the staff the same thing. Like take, take a day, like, things aren't right just just take a day and it's going to be okay and I learned that when I was in the classroom um, I had a double hernia surgery back in 97 and then I spent probably four weeks getting my plans together for being out for three weeks I mean I it was like a college course when I came back the building was still standing the kids were fine uh, we were supposed to be had to do some reteaching but everything was okay I mean everything was fine and that's when I really realized that I if I miss a day here or miss a day here because I have to, things will be okay. It truly will be okay. You gotta take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. actually, you know sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Katie, go ahead. No, I was just gonna go back to your story, Dwight. I really love that the teacher could say to you and check in on you and see if you were okay. Yeah. I think too often we think, the principal, like, it's about me. You know, you have the, the power and you're the leader in the school. And so people assume that if you're not in a great mood or you're frustrated, it's because they did something wrong or you don't like what they're doing. Right. Um, and so I love that you've created that culture where your teachers can say to you, are you okay? What's happened? And kind of push you to think about, you know, your affect and, and then also to check on you because you also need people as the principal to make sure that, um, and that's how we build relationships. That's how we get better for one another is yeah. being open and not making those assumptions. And I, I, I appreciate, um, her she had enough care and concern to like check on me and that was just that meant a lot it really did and i told her that yeah i think relationships are reciprocated a lot of times you know like this is i i hate this saying so much when people say that's why you make the big bucks well you know what i go home at night and i <laughs> like you know like people have families people struggle yeah and just you know if a principal makes a little bit more money 
it's not open season just to crap on them all the time. Absolutely. And I think that we have to understand that, yeah, people are bosses, but you know, like we always want to treat people as human beings that, you know, have issues, have, you know, things that are going on in their life and we don't just disregard them uh, because of where they are on, you know, the, the, the state of, of education. So I think, I, 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 I do appreciate that because I, I always talk about like relationships are back and forth. It's yeah. not just a pointing down issue. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm slowly building stronger relationships with staff members. Um, and again, I think our one-on-ones and our small group meetings are helping quite a bit. Um, I, it's still tough to not get defensive when like I get monthly um, feedback or monthly concerns about a topic that I think like, man, this is really not that serious. So it's hard not to get defensive, but also know I'd rather deal with a small, what maybe may seem like a small petty issue to me, but maybe big to somebody else. Because if it doesn't, if I don't address it when it's small, it will become big. And that's still hard. That's a still, still a hard pill to swallow. Cause like, man, we're spending time dealing with this issue when it could be only one person or it could be like two or three people as opposed to an entire staff. And it's hard to figure out, is this a really, is this a staff issue or is this an individual issue? And then, and, but that should, should that really matter either? So I, I struggle with that from time to time as well. I pre, like, I so appreciate your vulnerability, Dwight. Like, I think it's really um, good to see. And I know a lot of people that are mentioning it um, in the chat. And like, when Dwight asked me, he's like, hey, do I need to prepare anything? I know, so we just want to have a talk because I think that, um, you get way more authentic conversations when you just kind of go with some of the stuff you're saying. So I just appreciate this. Um, one of the things that I kind of want to tie into um, the part three of the book is uh, professional learning opportunities and, and what they look like. And so I know that's really crucial when you talk about the notion of like what's in your space, talking about disruption. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you've done um, for professional learning in your school that has helped move? your school, you know, be more open to trying new things in the classroom? Um, when your book came out, we had a um, Voxer book chat. And so I invited the entire district to be a part of that, that book chat. And I think there was, I think five or six teachers from my building who participated in that. And uh, that was a unique thing to most people in the staff because they've never, number one, they never heard of Voxer. Number two, they never thought of be thought of be we can use that as a book chat. And we also got credit for it, which was unique. So it was like, teachers participating, reading the chapter, giving some feedback, and then um, posting all those things either on like um, Twitter or Storify and submitting that to Sioux Falls University for credit was huge. I mean, it just, it was a game changer because they realized they didn't have to go to a physical location to get PD done to them. They were deciding the topics that they want, uh, what they wanted to talk about, how they want to participate, and how often they participated. Um, and just like some other schools, you know, we have breakout sessions where teachers lead sessions. So they're, I'm not always the one talking. My assistant principals aren't always the ones talking. I think there's more impact when it's a colleague leading another co- or group of colleagues because they know, they're known, they're trusted. It takes the notion away that those aren't my kids. They don't know me. It's not my grade level. It's all in-house. And we have experts, you know, through in those buildings. So let's, let's tap into them. Let's use them. And that's gone over really well. You know, prime example, I love that. Prime example, we had a, yeah. a group of teachers attend. This year we hosted our, the Buck Institute PBL conference on my, on my campus. We had like 14, 15 different schools here. Um, 
it was it was huge and uh, I had about 20 teachers participate in PBL if I would have talked about project-based learning and being at the conference in my perspective it would be like oh yeah that, that's that's nice but because my my English department chair she passionately and just phenomenally shared what she learned and what the process is like more questions came up well how do we learn more about it what can we do well, I mean it just took off so she became the in-house expert on PBL and uh, that all that that's because she's a respected educator and she did a great job of preparing and she was able to answer people's questions and now if they have any questions they go to her and also have a national presenter on staff of PBL he he presented at this conference and most teachers who attended that that were from the building they never knew he had that skill set so now he's a he's not just a national expert on PBL he's a building expert on PBL uh, so it was it was nice to give him that showcase and one of the I think that one of the things I really appreciate that you said Dwight is like there are there are experts in your building and yeah. this is something that we don't tap into enough and um, I actually, when I was a principal, this, I, don't, I don't know if I've shared this story either. You're bringing out something different to me, Dwight. The, um, I actually, um, I really got into like Covey stuff, Leader and Me, and I thought it was really great, especially Leader and Me is kind of targeted towards elementary schools. And, and I like read the book, totally loved it. And so, you know, we were, that became a, a really important aspect of my language is, you know, focusing on how do we develop students as leaders? And so we talked about actually implementation of that in our school. Mm -hmm. So I actually took a group of teachers to, to a school, a leader in me school. And this is not a, a knock on the program. I think there's a lot of great benefits to us, but what we saw, um, there's just something that didn't fit right with our community that it, it didn't feel right. And so it was like a four or five hour drive and even though I was like really into it. And when I talked to my teachers and my staff, the people that are actually in the classrooms with the students, they kind of just, I kind of felt like they weren't, this wasn't for us. Hmm. And instead of being like, well, this is what I believe and I'm the principal. I kind of said, you know what? I'm, I'm actually good with this. Like I, like you came with me, we saw this. And I think that's a really important thing that we show as leaders that we're willing, you know, that we could be, really excited about something, but you know, when our feedback from our staff, you know, shows that maybe that's not the best pathway for our students, we can, we can take that back. Right. And please, please don't take this as like a, if you're a leader in me school, you should be ashamed of yourself right now. That's not <laughs> the point of the story. Yeah, the the point bad. of the story is that that didn't necessarily work with our community. And right. Joseph and Filippo talks about like, you can't carbon copy culture. Like right. everything has to be unique to your community. Yeah. Every school has its own DNA. I mean, every school. Uh, like a couple years ago, um, just working with ICLE, I was um, working to implement the rigor, relevance, and relationships framework. And we started with rigor as a school. And so we had to spend the first probably two months defining what, rigors, what rigor means and undefining it and then redefining it. Um, but by the end of the year, I felt like we weren't gaining a lot of traction. Um, we weren't making a lot of movement. And I felt like it wasn't being well received. So... I just took a step back and to you know, listen to the staff and figured out what they really wanted to do and started really implementing the things that they thought were necessary as opposed to what I thought was necessary. And so this year, you know, like our English department, they wanted to focus on um, stronger liter writing literacy skills. So my English department worked with one of my assistant principals, got a trainer in, 
and they're I mean they're I mean it's it's they're taking off with it and like our global language department they're working on can-do statements and our science department is working on differentiation in terms of product and process so each department is working on something different but it was mainly because the leaders in the department wanted to do that and I figured if they want to do it and they're experienced at it and they and we can support their training uh, support the resources and provide the resources they need to do it and then why not and so it's well, just and Dwight I think that that's super powerful that you brought that up and I think just in your story and in George's story referring to the teachers as leaders and I think that's something that's also really important in George's book that it's not just sometimes we think administrator equals leader and all. both of you talked about teachers who stepped up and and shared their experience and they're in the classroom with kids every day and so you know as you mentioned providing those opportunities for teachers to make decisions about what's happening and empowering them um, mm -hmm. is is super powerful so I'm, I'm wondering like you so you professional learning and empowering them what other ways do teachers lead um, on your campus or what other ways are you providing opportunities for them to connect and share what they're doing with one another uh, every every other Monday we have what's called vertical team meetings so our seventh through twelfth grade teachers get together now it's, it's 20 minutes so that's a barrier right in right there in and of itself but they've been very productive for most of the departments uh, they can um, connect ask questions share ideas um, every every Wednesday and Thursday the departments get together and they um, they'll share best practices like they'll share different ideas that are happening in the classroom and then what I like when that happens what I like to see is when other people are doing it the next day or two days later and so they're they're becoming their own resources and it's all free I mean they're not they don't have to go to a conference I don't have to get a sub they're just they're learning from one another and then uh, one of my teachers uh, Miss Reichley uh, Spanish teacher she took upon herself this year I want to just go and observe people in the building like nobody asked her to do it but she felt comfortable enough where she just reached out to others said hey I, I want to learn I hear a lot about your class the kids talk about you as a teacher can I just come in during my conference time for 15 or 20 minutes I think she's visited like 10 maybe 15 teachers already this year and that's something I've been like like please somebody do it and now she's doing and now other people are like man that's a great idea I can do that too so she's made it possible or she's shown that it's possible to do without losing any time it's just like she's building relationships and she's also gets to learn and see what other people are doing um, we'll have um, some book chats we haven't had one this year but we had one last year like I said two years ago when George's book came out we did that uh, we'll do some uh, we'll study some articles together read some articles and talk about you know what are the big takeaways um, so, and, and if teachers will submit an article and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, we'll share it with the staff and, and have conversations around it. So, we try to do it as much as possible while um, still staying focused on our school goals. So, Dwight, I actually uh, hit up the YouTube comments and asked for uh, if they have, anyone has questions. So, Katie, you're more than welcome to uh, uh, answer these as well. Um, one of the questions is from Dave, and he asked this, how, how does Dwight determine how much of his budget to allocate to PD relative to technology and tools being purchased for learning spaces? So like, how do you actually figure out, like, actually the learning process, I, I think, and maybe I'm misinterpreting this question, uh, like, how much do you put into, like, the actual, like, the, the stuff versus the actual learning about the stuff? 
Well, while I'm on new school, I haven't really focused in any of the budget on the stuff. It's all been on just what the department needs. And then the PD is more towards the professional development, going to conferences or getting subs for a teacher to have pullout days. But I haven't spent a lot of money in the last four years on the stuff. And that was intentional because um, we were we went through, we, uh, we failed a levy my first year. So we had to cut way back. And so the what was considered nice to have, we had to let go of those things and then really heal from that loss because um, I lost 25 staff members that first year. So we spent the second year just focusing on, You met, George, you mentioned this, the social, emotional well-being in the staff and going through the healing process. And people weren't really in, engaged. It's like, let's, let's get this new furniture and these creative ideas. Like that was so far from people's minds. Um, but now... Like last year, we had a teacher, a couple of teachers just said, I want to do something different in my room. So we moved some furniture around. I think I got I budgeted a couple hundred dollars for, for, for them to paint their rooms. Got some carpet laid down that came out of the district budget, which was nice. Um, and now they have a nice, creative, innovative space. So it's been very little money allocated towards, towards that. And, and I think one of the things that really, and like I'm going to be one of the first ones to admit that I used to do this and how stupid of a practice it was, is that you, a lot of times what I would do is like, hey, here's like 10 tools, and like here's all this choice and blah, blah, blah. And people just are like, seriously, stop. Like we're not doing anything well. And like a lot of people, a lot of schools, they're so focused on what's next. I'm like, yeah, you're not even doing what you're doing right now any good. So like, what are you, why are you talking about next, right? And so th there has to be depth uh, in that. And I think, you know, if you uh, if you serve people, like if you serve people um, first, you will get way more out of your investment of the stuff in, in the first place. And I think that, you know, beautiful, beautiful example you just shared, Dwight, like if your people aren't, like even just in the building, like mentally, then who cares what technology you're using? Who cares what all those things? And like th there, this is a, one of the chapters that, and I keep going back to it, is about relationships. That you can't have anything innovative if you don't have actually relationships with the adults. Yeah. Well, and you can't also, what's next for one group or one person isn't always what's next or what's right for everybody. Yeah. So I love that, like your example, Dwight, of, one department is doing something because that's what their kids need and that's where they are and you're supporting them and giving them the resources, but it's connected to school goals. I think right. that we get lost in this, like, I'm going to empower you, so go and do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's not helpful either. So it's yeah, this balance. Yeah. Of we don't want a bunch of arrows going in a thousand different directions. Then there's no clarity. There's no consistency. There's no common language and common belief. And that's one thing we're working on as a district as a whole is, you know, common language, common expectations, common values, so to improve our outcomes. And that's been very refreshing. And uh, like people are really jumping in on that because it's all about behavior management, self-behavior management. Mm -hmm. And then all the other stuff comes after, comes after that. I love that. So when you, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of taking Karen Zeka, who shares a ton. She's awesome, does some really great stuff. Um, she kind of asked a question. I'm going to morph a little bit. Okay. How do you, just because of the context of the situation, you know, you talked about some of the extraneous things that, you know, the levy, you know, having an impact on, you know, the culture. How, how do you differentiate when 
this, you know, that's what's really impacting, or you have someone who's just like, doesn't, they're using that as excuse. And if everything was awesome, they're still going to complain and everything's mm -hmm. like, how do you combat those, the, the two, when you know that sometimes schools hit hard times and yeah. complains, but you know, even when good times, some, some, some people will still complain about everything. Well, I'll, I'll yeah, take this from Todd Whitaker. He says, always ask your best teachers and you know, who your best teachers just look at their, their results, look at their relationship with their kids, look at their relationship with their colleagues. And if they're just, you know, nose to the grindstone all day, every day, when those are the teachers who really start to complain, that's when you really know you have an issue. Um, if it's the person who complains about my parking space is too far, my parking space is too close, it's too hot, it's too cold. Um, I wanted um, Chipotle for lunch. I didn't want, I didn't want Jersey Mike's. I mean, it, nothing will make them happy. Those are the people you can't really focus on. But if it's like the teacher, but come on, Jersey Mike's is way better. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, that that's more you calculate. Oh, uh, so it, you know, we, you know, we we all have experienced people like that. Like, it can be too hot, it can be too cold. It doesn't really matter. Something's going to be wrong. Um, so I listen to the teachers who are typically positive every step of the way, but when they start to share their fatigue or their frustration or their concern, then it's time to really listen. And I learned that from one of my teachers named Mrs. Love. Uh, my first year, she, I mean, she was very transparent and very honest with me because I was trying to do the rah-rah, like we were going through this tough time and I was like, you know, being positive and motivating and trying to be spirited. And she's like, Dwight, um, we, we're mourning right now. You, like people want to be able to mourn and not feel guilty about it. And she gave me this book to read. I think it was called uh, Don't Sing to a, a Crying Heart. And it was like, basically it was like laced with song, um, the book of Psalms. And it was so powerful. And I was like, man, I, I didn't realize I was doing that. She's like, no, you have to just acknowledge the fact that things are bad right now. Hmm. No speech, no quote, no inspirational message is going to change that. And so that that was eye opening for me. So now I I try to be, I try to be very aware of what the staff is feeling, but still you know not keep using things that happened three or four years ago as an excuse as to why we can't move forward. And that so that the how do you do that again? Just listen to the best teachers. They'll tell you if you ask, and they'll tell you um, because they're the best teachers. They'll tell you, and now those are people you have to listen to. So Katie and Dwight, I'm going to ask you, um, we're, we're over the hour time and I just want to ask you what's like one final thing you'd like to say to the people listening right now. So Dwight, uh, actually Katie, I gave you a heads up. So we're going to let you go first. <laughs> so many takeaways. Um, but I think what resonated from stories tonight is just, um, tap into the experts in your building, tap into the people who are doing the hard work and um, stay connected to them, what they need, what they want, what their goals are, and provide that support. And um, through that, lots is possible. Dwight? I would say, um, where I, I guess where I am now, reflection is definitely at the heart of our practice. And if we're not reflecting, then it's hard to really grow and get better. So regardless of the situation you're in, always reflect on what impact you have on that situation and how do you control your behavior? Um, because what we're learning this year is like my response becomes other people's event. 
So how I respond can create a positive reaction or a negative reaction. And that's, um, that's a lot of responsibility. And so I have to reflect daily on how am I building a positive school culture or climate. And uh, I'll give one last story. And this is because uh, Dwight brought this up, but I actually remember um, a few years ago when I worked in central office, I did basically have like a, a really bad uh, breakdown and uh, had to take a few weeks off and was really struggling personally. And uh, my leadership was so amazing through the whole process, checking in on me or giving me space, whatever they felt I needed. And I was really hard to come back. I was actually really struggling because I was kind of embarrassed. And uh, about a week after I returned, they actually asked me to keynote opening day the following year. And it was like a really powerful thing because I was like, God, they're going to think terribly of me. And then they put me in a situation um, that they built on my strengths. And one of the things I just, you know, really appreciate humility and vulnerability, Dwight, is that sometimes just one person, one thing believing in you could totally change. And that had a huge impact on my career, having the ability to actually address my own staff. And uh, yeah. it was really because of those relationships and like we innovation is such a like a, a big thing in education but if you lose sight of relationships and how, how we don't we have to see each other as human beings that we we struggle we have you know issues at times and and so I just really appreciate the direction that you took us tonight and really want to thank you for your time and Katie as always thank you for your leadership and all you do and I just want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen whether it's live uh, recorded or on a podcast um, thank you for all you do. I look forward to your contributions. I, I look forward to uh, some of your blog posts. Thank you and have a good night. Dwight, thanks again for joining us. Kate, Katie, as always, thank you. Thanks, George. Thanks, Katie. Good night. Thanks. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my daylight clothes or is it just my daylight song? What I do ain't make believe. People say I sit and try. Just me, myself, and...